Hello friends, welcome to episode, uh, I want to say 96 of the Alabama Liberal Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Trump lighting, the Putin caucus, and the difference between a skillet president and a slow cooker president, or a set it and forget it president. And now right there when I was announcing the number of the podcast, you can already tell that I've been so long and neglectful that I've almost forgotten what number I'm on, or I'm like that deadbeat dad who hadn't seen his kids in a few years, and I'm like, wow, you kids sure are big. How old are you now? Eight, nine, or 17, damn it. These podcast episodes, I'm like George R.R. R. Martin with those Game of Thrones books. Like I went out for a pack of smokes and I never came back. R.R. R. Martin book fans are like, oh yeah, this is the year. This is the year we're going to get book six. We're going to get book six. It's like, okay, you know, keep dreaming, kids. But when you look around, and I mean, there's so many options for your entertainment. I mean, I'm not charging any money for this podcast. I'm really just competing for your time. I mean, there's a dozen different streaming services with thousands of movies and TV shows that could occupy your time. There's different cable channels. There's sporting events. Even with other podcasts, there must be a million other podcasts at this point. And so you look around and think, you know, Alabama Liberal, are you doing it for your vanity? Like Elon Musk buying Twitter and then changing the name to X, which I will never say the name X. It's going to be one of those Burma and Myanmar type things. You know, I will forever say Burma. The Myanmar dictatorship cannot take it over. That was a platform built by liberals, started by liberals, created by liberals, and all of our content, all of our brain farts that have powered that damn thing for years and years. But like, I think ketchup is racist, and then somehow we get ketchup canceled. We've been the ones driving that platform forever. And some apartheid billionaire who comes in and says, now it's called X. The website formerly known as Twitter will now be X. I'm so egotistical, I will now take a letter of the alphabet. I will now steal a letter of the alphabet to show my greatness. No, I don't give a fuck. It will forever be Twitter. But you look around and you think, you know, I'm doing this podcast in a radically different environment than 2016. 2016 when me and my podcast co-host at the time, Michael, started the Alabama Liberal Podcast, also called A Year-Long Conversation. It was going to be 50 episodes from the Iowa caucus up to the inauguration, and Barack Obama was president. Hillary Clinton looked like a shoe-in. The Republican dumpster fire had Trump, but also a lot of other colorful characters in it. And it looked like a really fun and engaging podcast. We were having a great time with it. Then 2020 comes, and it's not so fun and games anymore because you have Trump, who was running for re-election against Joe Biden, it was really a struggle for fascism and kleptocracy versus democracy. And that really became obvious as COVID started to rampage through. And you think, wow, you know, I'm trying to do a fun political podcast in the middle of the bubonic plague. And then that sort of drug on for a while. And then here we are again with 2024. And once again, I'll be kind of doing it by myself. Probably once a month will be the episode schedule. But now it's even less engaging because we're going to get a rerun. It looks almost inevitable that we'll get Trump versus Biden. Really, that's the first time we've had a rerun since the 1950s. I think like Adelaide Stevenson versus Eisenhower was the last time we had an identical presidential matchup. Obviously very boring for an audience to listen to, but well, here's all the thoughts I had in 2020 about why Biden's better than Trump. We'll just reheat those, like we'll microwave those up and put those out there again. So you think, is there really even a place for this? But then when I watch this so-called media, mainstream media, and even the fringe media, I do think there's a place for it because I see a lot of the same persistent wrong points put out there over and over again. I don't see the Alabama liberal take on a lot of this stuff. Like just for one very clear example over the last few months, a lot of the old has-beens from the Obama administration were like, oh, should uh, uh, Joe Biden, should he run again? And you look at these guys and you think, you know, David, and uh, some of these others, like you really hadn't been relevant in about 50 
15 years. I haven't seen you do jack shit for Democrats since the first time you ran for Obama in 2008. And I guess you were a senior advisor, David Axelrod was for a, a year or two, but some of you never even had a job in the Obama White House. But because you did something kind of good, you know, a long time ago, you think you should tell Joe Biden not to run again. Now, these poll numbers out of Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin that show Trump within the margin of error, they say, oh, he's beating Biden. Well, it's so close. It's like two points, three points. I mean, it's really within the margin of error. Please keep in mind, these media figures saying that that's so scary and Joe Biden shouldn't run again, these are the same goddamn people that told us for two straight years there was going to be a red wave in 2022. Anybody remember that? Oh, there's going to be a red wave. 2022, watch out. Kari Lake is inevitable. Like All these governor candidates in Arizona and Wisconsin and all these nutbag Senate candidates and all these places, oh, get ready for Dr. Oz, the Senate. They told us over and over that these people were inevitable. And the secretaries of state that were only running to say, hey, regardless of what your votes are, Trump's going to win in 2024. Like the, Basically, the people who said, yeah, uh, vote for me so you can never have your vote counted again. Big surprise, people didn't go for that. That red wave never materialized. The Republicans did not take back the Senate. They did not win most of the governor's races that were pretty close, the secretary of state races that they thought they would. And they won the House of Representatives by the smallest margin imaginable because you've seen the chaos that's come out of there where it's like, oh, it's going to be Kevin McCarthy. No, it's going to be his deputy. No, it's going to be that guy's deputy. No, it's going to be this guy we've never heard of. They can't even find somebody. It's like the drummer in Spinal Tap where they keep getting killed and they keep rotating them out. They've had like four or five speakers of the house, like either candidates or people who put their name up for it and be like, oh no, it's going to be me. They can't build a consensus out of the house because their margin is that small and it allows a handful of nuts to basically control the party. But that wasn't a red wave. That was the smallest turning of House seats that we've seen in decades for a presidential party in power. Usually the party out of power does way better than that. And of course, the reason that these candidates are not doing well is because of Trump. It is impossible to think, oh, the people in Georgia, they turned down Trump's hand-picked governor candidate and his hand-picked Senate candidate and the people of Arizona, same thing, and the people of Pennsylvania, same thing, and the people of Wisconsin, same thing, and the people of Michigan, same thing. But Trump's going to win all five of them states come uh, November 2024. They're turning down his hand-picked candidates because they don't like him. It's him that they're rejecting. But miraculously, the same damn electorate in 2024 is going to turn around and say, oh, but he's our guy. All those midterm candidates that we refused to vote for two years ago because he endorsed them and because we're scared to death of him taking power again, that doesn't matter because we're going to reelect him. I don't think that's going to happen. And I think the media to be like, oh, well, there's one handpicked poll that shows Biden losing to Trump by two points within the margin of error, 15 months out from the goddamn presidential race. Oh, you know what? That means Joe Biden shouldn't run again. He's so unpopular, he shouldn't run again. And that's terrible advice for a lot of different reasons. Let's keep in mind, the last two times an incumbent president could have run again and they chose not to, it was the Democrats and they lost. LBJ could have run again in 68, but he chose not to. And then Nixon took office. And before that, it was Harry Truman. He could have run again in 52 and Eisenhower beat Adlai Stevenson. It's very, very unlikely that if Joe Biden doesn't run again, the Democratic Party will win and they'll stay in power. And of course, that's why the media is pushing that so hard. The same media that every time you watch their TV shows and all the ads are for fossil fuels and big pharma and health insurance conglomerates and all the industries that hate Joe Biden's guts, the same people that buy ads on all these TV shows that you watch, big surprise that those millionaire reporters who do not like to pay extra taxes and don't want anything done about wealth inequality 
and income inequality, big surprise that they don't want Joe Biden to run again. Boy, I'm just shocked by that, aren't you guys? Of course, they know that if Joe Biden doesn't run again, the most likely nominee would be Kamala Harris. Do I believe that she stands a better chance of winning against DeSantis or Trump? Not really. And if it's not her, then they have an open primary, which they have to rush all that. Then that's a huge millions and millions, tens of millions of dollars being dumped into a primary that right now doesn't exist. The Democrats don't have a primary, a real primary, unless you think Joe Biden has a real primary against the Crystal Lady or whatever her name is, Marianne Williamson, I believe it is. That's how big a factor she was, is I didn't bother to go on Wikipedia and look up her name before I started doing this podcast. There's a couple of jokers just trying to get attention. So there's not going to be a real primary for the Democrats if Joe Biden is going to be the nominee, which he will be. But if you had to rush a big primary like that at the last minute, then you're going to dump tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions. Oh, is it going to be Buttigieg, the guy that we could have voted for in 2020, but he wasn't good enough and therefore Joe Biden was the nominee? Or is it going to be Bernie Sanders, the guy who's even older than Joe Biden? Now, nothing makes more sense than that, right? Being like, Joe Biden, he's so old, he shouldn't run for a second term. You know who we should get? The guy who's older than Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders. So you'll have Bernie Sanders, he'll throw his name in at the last minute. You'll have Pete Buttigieg, he might throw his name in at the last minute. Neither one of these are as strong a candidate as Joe Biden would be. And you might have Kamala Harris. You might have Gavin Newsom. Now, some people say, I believe Gavin Newsom is the only Democratic candidate that's stronger than Buttigieg, Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and maybe even Joe Biden. And in certain cases, he would be. But in 2024, what you have to keep in mind, and I think I've said this before, his first wife is Kimberly Guilfoyle a.k.a. the girlfriend or fiancé or common-law soulmate succubus of Don Jr. Kimberly Guilfoyle, his first wife, is with Don Jr. in whatever unholy capacity they decided to shack up on, okay? I think that's a real problem for a Newsom versus Trump race because she's going to come out and you know you know she will come out with something terrible about him August, September, October. Any ex-wife has got something. Text messages, pictures, emails. She's got something that in a normal race probably wouldn't be that big a deal, but in a Newsom versus Trump race is going to make him look bad. And even if she can't find anything in the old email folder, she'll come out with the most outlet. He abused me. He pushed me down the stairs. He battered my face. There was never any evidence of this. I never said a word about it for the first 10 years we were divorced. But now, you know, that he's running against my father-in-law. Uh, now I'm going to say something about this. And it'll be like those Tara Reid allegations where we all kind of know it's bullshit. We all know that it's just trying to make him look bad. But if even 100 women in Wisconsin believe it and decide to stay home or vote for Trump or whatever, that could tilt the race because of the atrocity that is the Electoral College. What kills me is nobody even questions if Biden is going to win the popular vote. They're like, okay, Hillary won the popular vote by 3 million. Biden won the popular vote by 7 million. In 2024, he might win the popular vote by 9 million. But if he doesn't win by 10,000 votes in uh, Pennsylvania, he's not going to be president. If this isn't the ultimate case of why we should get rid of the Electoral College, I don't know what could be. Newsom will win a record margin in California against Trump. He'll win so big in California, it'll be enough that he'll definitely win the popular vote. And he'll win the popular vote all over the other states where he's popular enough. The fact that he could be just unpopular enough 
in Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania to lose the presidency. If this could just make you sick that somebody could lose by 50,000 votes in three swing states or one swing state, but they can win by 8 million votes in the whole country. If this just doesn't prove that we need to get rid of this terrible system, I don't know what does. But of course, if you've ever listened to the Alabama Liberal Podcast before, I've very thoroughly explained the horrors of the Electoral College and why we should get rid of it. Let me talk about something that I don't think I have talked about on here before, which is this lunacy that Nikki Haley may somehow be the nominee for the Republicans. I would bet my savings that Nikki Haley will not be the 2024 Republican nominee. It's always been Trump or DeSantis. Those have really always been the choices. And it's been crazy to watch this nomination unfold where we've seen real candidates that in a normal year may have had a chance at the nomination. People like Mike Pence that were very prominent. Uh, He was out there. You know, people knew who he was, at least. His name recognition was pretty high. And they've dropped out. But people like Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley have said, oh, yeah, now that's going to get me that extra 0.2% of the vote that I needed to get. You know, it's like you're fucking dreaming. There has never been any real choice in this nomination besides Trump with an outside chance at DeSantis. And DeSantis might be too swarthy for some of these Republican voters. I secretly suspect that if Ron Dion DeSantis, that's his full name, okay? I think Dion might be a little too edgy for some of these Republican voters. Now, I'm not making that up. D-I-O-N is his middle name. A little swishy and a little swarthy, right? So if his name was really like... Robert Smith, and he were just as big an asshole when he were the governor of Florida, he might have stood a real chance at toppling Trump and beating him. But I think the fact that he's Catholic and that he's Italian-American and that he's a little bit of the meatball run, you know, as Trump called him a couple of times, I think that that is what probably is holding him back. But it's most definitely what held Tim Scott and Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley and all these all these jokers that they've put in this Republican Party to make it look like this diverse rainbow coalition of hatred. I mean, you watch the Republican debates and you get Tim Scott and Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley being like, yeah, fuck immigrants. Yeah, fuck them, you know, dumping on immigrants and talking about the border and talking about the need for tougher immigration. And it's like, yeah, well, how'd your parents get in? Who let them in? And what was that all about? It's been kind of fucking ridiculous. And then there's Chris Christie, Italian-American, Ron DeSantis, Italian-American. It looks like this diverse rainbow coalition of hate. So the debate stage is a bunch of people whose grandparents or parents are first-generation Americans talking about how we need to tighten the border and build an electrified border wall and kick all the immigrants out. And it's like, this is fucking ridiculous. You're playing to the cheap seat. The large majority of the Republican Party that you know is either white supremacist or white supremacist sympathetic. And that is why somebody named Nikki Haley's birth name is Nimarada, and she is not going to fucking be the nominee of this Republican Party that is basically the Ku Klux Klan has taken it over. To have an Indian woman be the head of the Republican Party in 2024 is a fucking fever dream. And Tim Scott knew that. And that was why you saw Tim Scott there for a few months. You know, everybody says Tim Scott's gay. I I do personally think that he is gay. I think him and Lindsey Graham, it's funny because they're like, yeah, we got to stop gays. And then they're in the back playing butt darts on the Senate floor or whatever. I mean, it's, again, that crazy thing where you have two Republicans, Lindsey Graham and Tim Scott, they're representing the most homophobic state in America, South Carolina. They're like, we got to ban drag shows and tear this down, and then they're gay. They're closeted homosexuals. Alabama has a closeted lesbian governor, Kay Ivey, 
it's longest serving female governor ever. She's never been married. She's never had a boyfriend. She doesn't have kids. She lives with a woman. Everybody who knows Kayavi knows it's an open secret. She's a lesbian and she's leading this state that's the most homophobic. And you have these voters be like, Pete Buttigieg makes me sick. That's why we're voting for Kayavi. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. The hypocrisy of, and you know, it's not really my place to out people. I don't think that that's necessarily something I would do if it were somebody that were remotely sympathetic to gay rights. But to have these closeted homosexuals passing these laws that are anti-gay and leading the charge against gay people and everything's now about banning drag shows and getting gay books out of classrooms and shit. Hell, I think Ron DeSantis might be gay. Have you guys really watched him, like his interviews and the way he talks and some of the stuff he says? I'm not just talking about those white boots, although those white boots were glaring that he didn't think that would be a problem or that he put those on and was strutting around in them like a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader. I mean, he was having a ball in those boots, wasn't he? But I mean, like, there was one clip, it was him and he was serving beers or something, which, first of all, I thought that clip right there is why it'll be Trump and not DeSantis. DeSantis is behind the bar serving people. Like, here, I'm a servant. I'm giving you beers. Trump is like, you serve me. And then all the sycophants in the Republican Party, yes, Lord Emperor Trump, yes, like they run to him to go lick his balls. Trump is like, you come to me. You do what I want you to do. And DeSantis is like, I'll do what you want me to do if you vote for me. It's the very similar dynamic to Ted Cruz and Trump in 2016, where Ted Cruz was bending over backwards to get votes. And Trump was like, no, you vote for me. I'm the best choice. That's why you should do it. And the people that are in the Republican Party and sympathetic to fascism and authoritarianism, and they want a strong leader and all that stuff, they want to tank, they all went to Trump. And that's a big part of the Republican Party. And that was why somebody like Ted Cruz and especially Jeb Bush, who had to put an exclamation point after his name, Jeb, they really did look pathetic compared to this colossus of a tyrant like Trump. And DeSantis is the same way, but there was that one clip where he was behind the bar and then some guy was ordering a beer and he goes, okay, I'll serve you anything but Bud Light. Okay, okay, you know, and the way he was saying it was like, you guys should try to find this if you can, where he refused to serve Bud Light to a guy, but he didn't really refuse and it was all kind of tongue in cheek. Like he was kind of whispering it. He was like, I'll serve anything but Bud Light, okay? And then he kind of winked, you know, a little bit. It was a little bit of a wink, a little bit of a whisper. And I thought, I think Ron DeSantis might be gay. Like for really and truly, which is so funny because he's made homophobia and transphobia such a huge part of his presidential campaign, but that's not surprising. As I've said on this uh, podcast so many times, you are what you hate. The black separatists that talk all this shit about white people, all those men have got white baby mamas. The 9-11 hijackers, they're like, death to America, we gotta stop America. They went to a strip club the night before 9-11. Blonde women with big implants, the Pamela Anderson types, rubbed their boobs in their face. And with gay people, it's the same thing. All these people that are big time homophobes and they're gonna stop gay this and gay that, they're all gay, or half of them are. So DeSantis wouldn't be any surprise. Lindsey Graham and Tim Scott and Kay Ivey, they wouldn't be any surprise. This is a clear pattern that we've seen. And it's funny to me, Alabamians, they're like, we don't like Kamala Harris because she's married to a white guy. And I'm like, well, at least she's interested in men. You can't say that about Kay Ivey. And you say that, and they look at you like, oh my God, I've just been punched. It's like you punched them when you, when you point out the obvious logical fallacy in saying, well, Kamala Harris is interracially married. Well, at least she's married. Can't say that about Kay Ivey, can you? I wish more people would throw it in Republicans' faces, but a lot of Democrats, they have class. They're just too classy to bring this stuff up, but they shouldn't be. Until we just push some of this stuff out in the light and just, just shove it in people's faces, I think is the only way that's going to shut them up. Because the Republicans that have been allowed to dominate the conversation, you go online and you go on social media, some of the older social media sites. I used to waste a lot of time on a site called Quora. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that. Q-U-O-R-A. 
A, but it was a site where you could ask questions and people answer them. And I kind of started out just wanting to talk about movies. Really, movies and TV are as big a passion of mine as politics is. I almost love those more. Like your target person writing questions there is probably over 50. And a lot of them don't really watch current movies or TV shows. Like you'd write the best answer about a movie or TV show and it, it just wouldn't get a lot of upvotes. People don't, they just don't watch a lot of movies. So inevitably you drift towards politics and people would ask the same political questions over and over. And they still do it. And I, and that's why I quit answering a lot of these questions because it was just, when are we going to have a civil war? Is a civil war inevitable? What form do you think the civil war will take? What state will start the civil war first? I mean, it was just, oh, and, and you don't know if it's really like some guy in his 60s who's just bored to death writing this shit because he's retired and got nothing better to do. Or if it's a Russian bot or a Chinese bot. It's either like old, fat, retired men who just have nothing better to do and they talk this shit because they know they're not going to be the ones fighting in it. Or it's Chinese and Russian bots trying to stir up division in the United States. And if it's not that, then it was like, well, why can't Democrats accept Trump's done nothing wrong? Why can't liberals accept Trump is perfect? Why can't liberals admit Trump was a great president? I mean, it was just the same thing over and over. Hunter Biden talking about his name over and over is not going to magically make Joe Biden a bad president. It's not going to massage him into being the worst president in the world because his son is a fuck up. Hunter Biden is just a fuck up. I mean, he's just one of those guys and we all know guys like this and, you know, in the political world, they exist a lot. Your dad is a senator and then eventually becomes vice president and then eventually president and all that prestige and pressure might push your kids to act out. The Bush daughters did it. I mean, people forget it now because they're on like Access Hollywood and they're hosting all these stupid shows. They're hosting the morning show and all this stuff. But the Bush daughters, before they were successful correspondents, they were wild. So some people grow out of that phase and some guys like Hunter Biden don't. But I think Hunter Biden, what it is, his brother Bo was a war hero and a senator. His brother Bo was perfect. And Hunter Biden's like, my brother's perfect. My dad's in the Senate and has become vice president. Kind of that impulse to like self-destruct. It's like a comic type impulse. It's like, okay, my brother, he was a saint and he died a war hero and he died a brain tumor in the Senate. Uh, I'll fuck his widow. My dad's the vice president of the United States and he's such a great guy and you know everybody looks up to him and he's Obama's vice president. Obama gave him the Presidential Medal of Freedom. I'll go in the bathroom and do cocaine off the Presidential Medal of Freedom. It's just that self-destructive impulse. And of course, it's all over the Republican Party. I mean, anybody who talks about Hunter Biden, I'm like, look guys, we could talk about Don Jr. and we could talk about Eric and we could talk about Ivanka. I mean, we certainly could talk about his kids if we wanted to, but that's how big of a menace Trump is. There's so much good shit with him, damn near a hundred indictments. We really don't have to talk about his kids and make it about his kids. And I really don't want to make it about his kids. I mean, hell, why go through Barry and Trump's locker at his high school when we've got so much good shit about Trump himself to talk about? So it's kind of amazing. Don Jr. and Eric and Ivanka, we certainly could fill a book about their relationships. Jared Kushner, his son-in-law. I mean, his son-in-law was a senior at advisor in the White House. He was de facto chief of staff. Trump had like three or four different chief of staffs in the four years he was president. Jerry Kushner stayed the whole time. We're talking about a guy who was his de facto chief of staff and was his son-in-law. Hunter Biden has never had a job in the White House. He has never been part of his dad's administration. And so to have these old men, conservatives on Cora, go on and on about Hunter Biden, I'm like, you know what? That tears it. I'm not voting for Hunter Biden for president. I will not vote for Hunter Biden for president. Oh, wait, he's not running, and he has no job in his dad's administration, and it's completely irrelevant. And if you try to impeach Joe Biden over his son, then that's just a 
brand new fucking low. I didn't think you guys could get any lower. I really hope that they don't go through with the impeachment. And a lot of Democrats and liberals are saying, I hope that they impeach Joe Biden because that will almost certainly reelect him. I don't want impeachment to become completely meaningless. Like we all know the House might impeach him, but then the Senate would not vote to convict him. Like there's no way Joe Biden would be removed from office. They would just impeach him in the House just to say, oh, he's running for re-election even though he's been impeached. He's an impeached president. He's a disgrace, blah, blah, blah. I don't want it to become just a purely political tool, like to where it just becomes nothing. And there's so many things we have like that in our system. It's just a constant lowering of the standard and lowering of the values. It really started with Nixon, of course, as most of these things did. So Nixon, of course, commits Watergate. He breaks into the DNC. But there were still some values to where the Republicans in the Senate, they would have voted to convict him and remove him from office. Barry Goldwater told him this. And that was a big part of the reason Nixon stepped down. He resigned because he had to. He was going to be removed from office if he did not. He didn't have the votes in the Senate to stay in office, unlike Trump and unlike some others that we've seen. It starts with Nixon to break into the DNC and then quietly kind of step out. Reagan makes a deal with Iran to hurt Jimmy Carter to where it's like, okay, Jimmy Carter's running for re-election, but we're going to make a deal with America's enemies to hurt Jimmy Carter for re-election. Then you see various Reagan scandals where a lot of of other people might have been impeached, but Reagan was like, I didn't know anything about it. And, uh, you know, Oliver North commits perjury on my behalf. And that way nobody's going to talk about it. Then when Bill Clinton comes in, we see the standard really get lowered where Newt Gingrich comes in and it's like, oh, this is the Gingrich revolution. We're going to jam up everything Bill Clinton wants to do. There's eventually try to impeach Bill Clinton over being the one billionth married man to lie about having an affair. W. Bush steals Florida from Al Gore in 2000, which was a brand new low. And the Supreme Court even stepped in to help him steal it, which was really the first sign that the Supreme Court was not a legitimate court anymore. Okay, they can make their rulings and they can pretend to be legitimate, but they're not legitimate. By stepping in and helping George W. Bush steal, the only recount Al Gore was ever going to receive in Florida, which determined the Electoral College outcome, which determined the presidency, they basically declared we're not a legitimate court anymore. We're a political court. They had no grounds to do that, and they did it anyway. You might think, okay, Republicans, they finally stolen the White House like they've been trying to do for decades, and maybe that will end it. Well, of course, it didn't end it. W. Bush's administration was completely political, and that went on for eight years, especially got worse in his second term. But he's literally to the point where Alberto Gonzalez is firing prosecutors for not prosecuting enough Democrats. They're actively looking to make the office more political. Then Obama comes in, and before you know it, there's the Tea Party, and the Tea Party comes in, and they say, oh, we have to count for every dollar and every penny and every nickel, and we need to know all his receipts. And oh, by the way, he wasn't born in America. Birtherism once again lowers it. But you think, well, this has surely got to be the bottom. But no, the birther in chief, the main guy driving the birtherism, bullshit, Donald Trump, becomes the nominee in 2016. And then he steals the White House from Hillary, who won by 3 million votes, but he wins a squeaker in three swing states, partially through crap about Hillary's emails and partially through trying to make deals with Russia saying, Russia, if you're listening, I'd love to see those emails, you know, literally making deals with foreign powers. Seven different individuals in the Trump 2016 campaign have ties to Russia. His son takes a meeting with Russian spies to try to find dirt on Hillary. Several other people like Paul Manafort and others went to jail over their ties with Russia. Roger Stone went to jail, but were pardoned separately by Trump. 
you think, man, this is about as low as it gets. Nope, 2020 rolls around, and even though Trump loses, he says, I didn't really lose, and I'm not going anywhere. He stages an insurrection on January the 6th. We just had the third anniversary of January the 6th. January the 6th, they had all these news bulletins being like, oh, yeah, it's the third anniversary, and I thought, and the ringleader is not only running loose, he's not only not in jail, despite the best efforts of some very brave prosecutors, but he's the front runner and almost certain nominee for the 2024 nomination. We've driven the standards so low in the ground. Now the guy, Joe Biden, who almost had the election stolen from him in 2020, who was the first president to ever see a coup to try to stop them from taking power. Not even Abraham Lincoln saw that shit. James Buchanan was a Democrat. Abraham Lincoln was a Republican. The Civil War started before Lincoln took office, and James Buchanan never even considered holding on to power in the White House. He might could have. He might could have gotten away with it, but never even considered saying, oh, this White House is mine, and you know I'm not going to let Lincoln come in here because it's just all going to go to shit and everything, and South Carolina is already talking about seceding. Never even considered it. Donald Trump didn't have any stipulations about whipping an angry mob of morons and dumbasses into storming the Capitol, chanting, I want to kill Nancy Pelosi. I want to kill Mike Pence. I want to kill whoever gets in my way. Basically wiping their butt all over the Capitol floor to try to prevent the election from being certified. And after that election was almost stolen from Joe Biden through an angry mob and through a hundred and something members of the House who refused to certify the election. You can't even believe that, right? Like you'd think, okay, after the Capitol riots, surely to God, the Republican members of the House would be like, we want to basically distance ourselves from this mob. No, a hundred of them still voted not to certify the election. Even after that, now we've got an impeachment inquiry going around about Joe Biden because of things that his son did. This is the lowest of the low point. You almost can't say it would get any lower, but one more thing, Donald Trump, the same instigator, first incumbent president in American history to stage a riot on the Capitol to prevent an election from being certified, is almost certain to be the 2024 Republican nominee, as if he's a completely normal and acceptable political candidate. And this is where, and I know we're 30 minutes in almost, but this is where I want to talk about Trump lighting and what that term means to where it's almost to the point where Trump is so crazy and his fans are so crazy, you almost think you're crazy. The media just talks about Trump like he's a normal fucking person. They're like, oh, here's this mugshot of Trump, first ex-president ever to have a mugshot a literal goddamn mugshot. And his face in that mugshot looks like the haunted painting from Ghostbusters 2. Does anybody else have nightmares about this mugshot? This mugshot, his eyes are black. His face is jowly as hell. He's scowling at the world. He's just scowling at America being like, I dare you not to reelect me. He looks like the evil villain from Ghostbusters 2 in that horrible possessed painting that comes to life. Looks like a demonic painting more than a mugshot photo. He's got a mugshot. He's got a hundred fucking indictments. He has skipped all of the Republican debates because he knows that he does not want to get up there and have Chris Christie and some of the others rip into him and prove him to be a fraud. Releasing statements talking about he's going to kill General Mark Milley if he's reelected and some other people. His basic 2024 campaign pitch is vote for me so I can get revenge on my enemies. And we're seeing in the polls, he's almost certain to be the 2024 Republican nominee. And that's Trump lighting to the point where you look around and think, this is the worst presidential candidate I have ever seen in my life. And this is going to be the nominee. Am I the crazy one to look around and see this mass scale madness taking over 
the Republican Party, the country. Separately from that, another subtitle of this podcast was the Putin Caucus. And this is about a dozen members of the House and a couple of members of the Senate that are firmly in the back pocket of Vladimir Putin. Okay? And they're not even really trying to hide it that well. But I think it's mostly Rand Paul, J.D. Vance, and Josh Hawley in the Senate. There's several more in the House. There's two dozen in the House. But every single Ukrainian aid package, oh, do we need to keep funding Ukrainian aid? Do we need to keep giving Ukraine weapons? Do we need to keep doing anything for Ukraine? Here it has been two years, two full years that the Ukrainian war, I I won't call it the Ukrainian war, I will call it the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the Russian power grab, land grab in Ukraine, demolished Ukraine, They've killed untold numbers of civilians, untold numbers. They have tried to basically absorb a country that is not theirs to absorb and say, this country is ours now. We've almost forgotten about it. You turn on the news, it's Israel, Israel, Israel almost every day. I don't even really want to get into it because people have gotten so crazy about this issue, about Israel and Palestine. And I mean kind of both sides, to be honest, because some of the people that love Israel, I mean, they really have gotten to where they don't want to hear anything bad about it. Like you even admit like, oh, Netanyahu, he is not a good president. Okay, uh, you know, you can just find somewhere else to work. And the people who were mysteriously in love with Palestine, you know, a place that I don't think they would actually like that much if they went there. I mean, they're putting up, I was driving through Los Angeles and I saw all these pictures of it was Joe Biden with the red eyes, like the dark Brandon memes. And I thought, oh, is this supporting Joe Biden for the dark Brandon memes that he does sometimes when he does something cool? And no, it was these posters being like, genocide Joe, stay out of LA because Joe Biden was going to come to LA But it was saying, genocide Joe, don't come to L.A., talking about his support of Israel. And I thought, now that's when you've probably gone over the cuckoo's nest to the point where, I mean, do you really think that Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump are going to be more sympathetic to Palestine than Joe Biden has been? It's a little cuckoo to call him genocide Joe. And I mean, L.A. really should be like a happy place for him to visit. This should be someplace he enjoys visiting. And instead to be like this one issue And yet I am seeing this get a hundred times the press coverage as price gouging. The fact that I can't go to a store and afford hardly anything anymore. The fact that almost every business has doubled their prices in the last year or two. I mean, there are real issues out there that are really making it a struggle to pay for things that we could afford two years ago. And we don't see hardly any press coverage for that. And they skip right past that to have a jump fight about Israel and Palestine. Yet they have really pushed aside the Ukrainian invasion that's been happening for two years to where people, like now you say the words Ukraine and people almost roll their eyes or whatever. And that has been a very successful demonstration from the Putin caucus to basically be like, oh, it's not worth paying for and this is not doing us any good and blah, blah, blah. Well, it is doing some good. And here's some statistics that I don't see talked about in the media hardly ever. Before Putin invaded Ukraine, The military that he had before he invaded Ukraine, 85% of that military is gone. I almost can't believe that statistic, but 85% of Russia's active military is either dead or wounded to the point where they can't come back on the front lines. I thought 85% of the second biggest military in the world wiped out. We were told over and over again, other than the United States, Russia has the second best military in the world. I think we were told that to the point where we really believed that they had the second best military in the world. And then, of course, people say, well, of course, China is the second best military. Who knows? They haven't fought a war in 50 years. The last war they fought was a territorial skirmish with Vietnam that was over 50 years ago. They have not fought a battle in 50 years. We really have no idea how good the Chinese army is, and they don't either because they're so inexperienced. We might fire a shot. They might run off. We don't fucking know. But Russia, 
was a battle-tested army that at least had some experience and at least has been fighting for several decades. I mean, you know, not, I won't say against very good opponents, but like Afghanistan, Syria, Chechnya, like battle-tested, and they're dead. 85% of them are dead or wounded. For only a few billion dollars and some weapons, the United States has been able to dismantle the chief military antagonist that we have in the world. Our biggest military and geopolitical rival is Russia, and we've been able to dismantle them. I can't believe a Russian general hasn't gone to Putin's house and shot him in the back of the head. I can't believe that Vladimir Putin is still alive. I would have thought for sure he would have been killed by now. When you look at this news, but because the Putin caucus has been so successful and been like, why are we spending money and is this really our best interest? Yes, dismantling the chief antagonist that America has in the world is definitely in our best interest to do that. And for us to have done that and not put a single American life at risk is incredible. It is not inconceivable that within the next year, the entire Russian military collapses and we can reconfiscate Russia's vast nuclear arsenal of weapons. That's not inconceivable. And you don't hear that from the media and you don't hear that from the Putin caucus because they're so desperate to move on from Ukraine and to cut off Ukraine's funding and to really stop them from finishing the job against Russia. And this has been an enormous triumph for Biden. But nobody talks about this, that Biden could dismantle the primary antagonist that America has in the world and do so without putting a single American at risk. Not one American soldier has died. This is amazing. And he may be thinking a similar strategy of why he's not done anything to stop some of Israel's more aggressive tendencies in Palestine. He may be thinking that Israel will do the same thing in Iran. He might be wanting to use the Ukraine against Russia model for Israel versus Iran and be like, we don't have to put our own troops at risk in Iran. Israel will put a more friendly regime in our place for us. If Ukraine can take on the second biggest military in the world, Russia, and do this, there's no doubt that Israel could do the same thing with Iran. And he may be thinking along those lines. That may be what he plans to do or the long-term strategy. But of course, people are not ready to give Biden the benefit of the doubt. Subtitle of this uh, episode is talking about a slow cooker president versus a skillet president. Okay, what exactly does that mean? I've often said that I love Joe Biden because he's a slow cooker president, which is a set it and forget it president. A slow cooker, you know, you take a pot roast, you put the pot roast in, you close the lid, you, and it heats the pot roast. And you can go out for a walk, you can go watch a movie, you can do whatever you like, but you know that you can come back two hours later and your house hadn't burned down. Your house is not on fire. And that's what Joe Biden is. I don't have to stay glued to the news every single day. He's not on the news a lot. He's not interviewed a lot. You don't see him that much. But he's quietly going about the business of running the country. We left Afghanistan. Republicans tried to make that a bad thing the way we left Afghanistan. Well, well, we left Afghanistan, the ultimate country that nobody wants to be in. I think Afghanistan, Somalia, and North Korea are tied for the least desirable place to be on the face of the earth. Whenever somebody asks me if I want to do something, they're like, hey, you want to watch the Republican debate? I'd rather go to Afghanistan. I mean, honestly, those Republican debates, I call them the waiting for Godot debates because Trump's not coming. The guy who's going to be the nominee, Trump, has refused to participate in them. And instead, all we've got to do is watch Vivek Ramaswamy pretend that he's a legitimate presidential candidate, pretend he's a legitimate human being, pretend that he's not a reptile in human skin. And so we see him and we see Nikki Haley and a bunch of others who were not going to be the nominee. We see them debating and debating what? Like, oh, here's what I'll do as president. Well, you don't have to worry about it because you're not going to be president. You're not even going to be the nominee. 
So the wedding for Godot debates where Trump refuses to show up, we watch a bunch of also-rans, the nobodies and people that you've never heard of or whatever. I mean, who wants to watch them talk about, well, here's why abortion is a crime and all. It's like, shut up. Nobody even cares what you fucking think because you're not going to be it. And I, I didn't watch the debates. I watched some clips of them after they were over. Like I was going to literally watch the debate last August that they had, the first one that they had last August and do a podcast. But I thought, I don't even want to watch this. I'd rather go outside and stare at the grass. I mean, whatever I choose to do, like watching a squirrel fucking run around a park would be just as constructive as watching this debate. It would be better for me. It'd be better for my mental health because I wouldn't be sitting there being like, oh, who are these idiots talking this shit? I wouldn't get mad watching that. My blood pressure wouldn't go up. So I played with my kids. I mean, I probably watched a movie or something like that. I mean, during all these debates, I just hadn't felt any need to watch them whatsoever. None. Just cut the noise off completely. But people would ask this, are you going to watch that? I'd say, I'd rather go to Afghanistan. And that's just the natural place to be like, that's a place I do not want to go. I would never want to go. Joe Biden left Afghanistan, and after we left Afghanistan, he killed the head of al-Qaeda. Okay, this just proves that we never needed to really be in Afghanistan to kill al-Qaeda. But he killed the head of al-Qaeda, and he did it with a Ginsu knife drone that turned him into sushi rolls. Not only did he kill him, but he did it with a drone that had no collateral damage whatsoever. The other people in the house didn't even die. His grandkids were playing in the back patio like, oh, what happened to Grandpa? He got turned into sushi. Like nothing else fucking happened. The guy's dead. There was no collateral damage. And it just moved on as though it was like, oh, wow, I can't believe we were scared of this guy for 20-something years. And that was an amazing trump for Biden to be like, we can leave Afghanistan and we can still kill the worst people in the world, even though we're not there. Now the worst people in the world are looking around being like, oh my God, is anywhere safe? You know, paranoid. That was a classic example of something that Biden did correct, but the media gave him no credit for it because he's a slow cooker president. He's not on the news talking about this shit all the time. He's not out there saying, look at how great I am and how wonderful I am. Now you contrast that with a skillet president, which is what Trump is. Skillets are very high maintenance devices. Every time I cook something in a skillet, it is so easy to burn. I mean, it's just so easy to stink up the whole house and there's smoke coming out. It looks like that smoke monster from Lost is just doing donuts in your house, like doing laps and loops. It's just such a high maintenance thing. You have to really sit there and watch it. You got to be there with it, watching it, monitoring it, or else your whole house is going to blow up. It's going to catch on fire. Because it's just like you really got to sit there with it. You cannot leave it at all, no matter how low it is. And Trump, of course, is a skillet president. He wants you watching him. He wants all the eyes on him. He wants you really really paying attention to him and what he's doing. And if you're not paying attention to him and you're not giving him appropriate attention, he'll do something to put the attention back on him. He wants everybody looking at him. And so he's a skillet president. He makes a lot of fucking noise, makes a lot of smoke, doesn't really do anything. It's really easy to burn the food, make everybody starve because the food didn't cook the right way. And Joe Biden's, he's a slow cooker president. He's a set it and forget it. You kind of put it in, you sort of forget about it. I don't even know if it's really working. Is this even really cooking my food? But then 30 minutes later, an hour later, you get a beautiful pot roast that's perfectly cooked. It's juicy. It's beautiful. You eat it. And you didn't have to sit there and stir it constantly and turn the heat down and turn the heat up and adjust the heat and put oil in it so that it doesn't stick to the pan. It just wasn't as high maintenance. Some people, because Biden is so in the background and because he kind of disappears for weeks at a time, we don't see him that much, they feel like he's doing nothing because he's not out there being like, here's the Build Back Better, here's the infrastructure bill that I got passed, and here's the uh, Afghanistan withdrawal where we also killed the Al-Qaeda leader after that, and here's the fact that we've dismantled the Russian military without putting a single American in danger, and here's some of the bills that I've tried to pass but the Senate wouldn't pass them. And because he's not out there really like actively touting his achievements over and over again, and there are 
a lot of them, despite not having a cooperative Congress at all. I mean, the Senate would not pass most of what he wanted to do. The House has been trying to impeach him. Without having a very cooperative Congress, he has accomplished quite a bit. But because he's not really the kind of guy to go out there and take credit for that and to just constantly be touting himself, other people, fools, gullible rubes and idiots and suckers and fools have gone with Trump and said, oh, but look at everything Trump did. He was so great and Trump was doing all this stuff. What stuff? He built the wall. <laughs> and they'll come up with something just sort of stupid, you know, like, ah, the economy was great under Trump. I'm like, 2020 was the worst economic year in decades. I don't know where they're getting this shit that he was this economic genius. I feel like it's the same thing that people have, like all the people he suckered and conned because you'd be like, oh, Trump, you know, he got his university disbanded for fraud. You know, like all these people signed up for his university. They're like, oh, we're going to learn so much. Trump's a business genius. Disbanded for fraud. The charity people. Oh, Trump, that's a name we can trust. Here's $100,000. Oh, wait, he stole all the money and never gave it to uh, any of the veterans he raised it for. Disbanded for fraud. It's not really a surprise that a guy who spent his life as a fucking con man, that he could wreck the American economy, but a sizable chunk of America could be like, he was the best president we've ever had for the economy. Gas was $2 a gallon. Be like, yeah, but because fucking COVID made it to where nobody could go anywhere. Trump himself made a deal with OPEC to raise oil prices. He was worried in 2019 oil prices were going to be too low. He's actively trying to raise oil prices, but because a totally unrelated pandemic that he didn't do enough to prevent or rein in, craters demand, craters oil prices because nobody wants to go anywhere. Trump lowered oil prices, <laughs> you know. Oh, the stock market, the stock market under Trump had cratered. There was a handful of technology companies doing well, but obviously there was a huge dip. Under Joe Biden, the stock market had just broken a record in December. It went up to an all-time high. Unemployment is the lowest it's been since the 50s. Record number of jobs created. Uh, by any objective measure, Biden's economy is better than Trump's economy ended. Trump's economy the first year or two when it was really Obama's economy, yeah, that was great. But by 2020, the COVID economy was the worst we've had in a long time. And Joe Biden has done everything he can to put the house back together again. But of course, the same people are being like, if Joe Biden's reelected, there'll be a massive recession and blah, blah, blah. Well, Trump said that. He said that in 2020, that Joe Biden would ruin the economy. And now here we are enjoying an objectively fantastic economy, except for the problem of price gouging. Does Trump have anything to say about price gouging? No, because the same damn people that want him reelected are behind the price gouging. So he's not going to do anything to stop that. There are a couple of real economic problems mostly price gouging and the fact that corporate monopolies feel like they can get away with anything. Junk fees that you see, they're out of control. They're just totally out of control. The fact that companies think that they can get away with this because they're just pushing it. They're like, oh, what will people pay? What will they pay before they just say, okay, I went to Five Guys and I got a hamburger, fries, and a milkshake and it was $35. I thought, why don't I just bend over in California, until November, gas was over five bucks a gallon. Each individual company is like, okay, how far can we raise prices before people just quit the service completely? Disney Plus doubled a yearly subscription. An annual subscription was 80 bucks. I have two small kids. I didn't mind paying that. Then it went to 140 bucks. I do mind paying that because that's almost fucking double the price that it was. And I didn't want to pay that. And I canceled it. And so each individual company right now is trying to see what they can get away with and how much people will take, how much abuse will they take before they just completely flake out and don't go to Five Guys anymore. And Trump doesn't have any answers for that. His whole campaign is vote for me so I can get revenge 
on all the people that screwed me over in 2020. And, and I'll do something great for you too. I'll tell you what it is later. You know, I'll give you policy down the road, but he doesn't have any policies. And the fact that people could look at a guy who's visibly crazy. I mean, you look at Trump's tweets and some of his truth social postings, they might as well be written in magazine letters. They're so fucking crazy. Like the Zodiac Killer couldn't have come up with something nuttier than that shit he writes. If he cut his letters out of magazines and pasted them together, took a picture of them and posted them, and that was his messages, they couldn't look any goddamn crazier than that. But the fact that a big swath of America can look at postings that talk about, I will purge the vermin of America. I will get rid of the impure blood that is running this country. The fact that they can look at this like chat GPT version of Hitler, like chat GPT goes and gets a bunch of Hitler's old speeches and cuts them together and puts them out there and be like, yep, that guy's totally normal. He wants to kill General Mark Milley. I'm going to vote for that guy. That makes me question their sanity. I mean, with a lot of Trump's fans, you want to look at them and say, are you a racist or are you an idiot? Because it's one or the other. You're a fucking idiot or you're a bigot. There's nothing else that would be drawing you to a guy like that. A fucking fool and a moron is drawn to him for a lot of stuff we've talked about. And then they always say, I'm not a racist. I'm not a bigot. No, I hate when people call me a racist. The fact that you call me a racist is why I'm voting for racist policies. Because you call me a racist. Okay, so what's so great about Trump? He wants to build a wall, stop immigration, have a Muslim ban. He hates Barack Obama. He led the birtherism movement. He hates Kamala Harris. He hates critical race theory and wants to ban it. He hates wokeism and wants to ban wokeism. All this shit is race. How can anybody look at Trump and say, I'm not a racist. I'm just voting for the guy who talks exclusively about immigration, race, critical race theory, Barack Obama. It's all fucking race. It's all connected to that shit. The Muslim ban, most of those countries he was banning were African countries. Some of them are not even majority Muslim countries. Nigeria is like partially Muslim, maybe about 50% Muslim. He wanted to ban immigration from there. Every fucking policy that he's put forward is about race. And that's what his people are fucking responding to. And it's absurd for somebody to be like, I'm not a racist and the fact that you call me a deplorable is why I want to be a deplorable. You called me a racist, so therefore I will join the Ku Klux Klan and I'll show you what a fucking racist is. It's ridiculous. You are a bigot. If you're supporting this man in 2024, you know who he is. You cannot lie and pretend you don't know what he stands for. And so you're either a racist or an idiot. Which do you prefer we call you? Because forever it's been, oh, don't call Trump people idiots because that'll just push him into his arm. Could they be any more in his arms? I mean, honestly, this thing where we tiptoe around them and we pretend to show them respect because we don't want to drive them further into his arms. If they've seen a guy with a fucking mugshot and a hundred criminal counts refuse to have debates but release Zodiac killer postings talking about purging the vermin and cleaning the blood, could you be any more in his camp? Could you be any further into his arms? What could we do to push you further into that maniac's lustful embrace? Really and truly, how much more in the rabbit hole could you get? And so because of the Trump lighting where his fans are so crazy that the worst presidential candidate I've ever seen is the almost certain 2024 Republican nominee, yeah, no wonder we're going a little squirrely because it could make anybody look a little bit crazy. Okay, guys, thanks for listening. Stay tuned for episode 97, coming up probably next month.